Well, hello and welcome to Fire Drawn Air, episode number 38. I am currently recording this into my phone in the bedroom in New Orleans. I'm over here uh, doing a few lectures, which you might have heard about, um, lectures on the child ballads in the Irish tradition. They've gone really well so far, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've one more lecture coming up on the 20th of October in Villanova University in Philadelphia. If you know anybody around that neck of the woods, could give them a shout and tell them I'm going to be there. Um, or maybe turn up yourself if you're living somewhere nearby. Um, but this episode is going to be a bit different. Basically what I'm doing is putting out the live podcast interview I did with Jack Dempsey McMahon, a.k.a. Ejaculate. I did the live podcast with him last month as part of the Dunleary Folk Festival. Um, I had a really interesting time chatting to Jack. He's a really, really talented man, a really interesting character. And we talked about all sorts of things, from piping to klezmer music to the nature of the tradition to trad rave to his musical techniques, trends in traditional music, all kinds of stuff played a lot of really interesting tracks that Jack brought along and had a chat about them as well. Um, so I hope he's like that. Um, all I want to say is thanks a million, as always, to people who've signed up to the Patreon. It's really, really, really appreciated. Thanks so much. Um, if you have any interest in that, you can look up all my stuff, basically anything I've ever done as Fire Draw Near is all available online. If you go to www.campsite.bio forward slash fire drawn here you'll find links to all my stuff there if you wanted to sign up to the patreon or share the show around or leave a review somewhere anything at all you could do to help that would be really 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 appreciated um gonna leave it at that for a moment and just get straight into the interview um it's been a funny one having to sift through two hours of recordings of my own voice I wouldn't ever wish it on anybody. I pretty much just left most of it as it is. I didn't change too much. Anyway, without further ado, here is the Fire Drawn Air live podcast with Jack Dempsey McMahon, a.k.a. Dejaculate at the Dunleary Folk Festival 2022. Hope you all enjoy it, and I'll see you all again next month. Until then, take care. Good luck. Well, how are you all doing? Very welcome to the Fire Drawn Here live podcast. Um, lovely to see you all that um, managed to come in out of that lovely sun. 
I, I wouldn't have done it. But uh, it's kind of a, a, a significant thing for me to be here because the Dunleary Folk Fest last year was where I did the first Fire Draw Near live performance. And there's this thing whereby whenever you're doing like, when anyone talks about doing a live podcast thing, they always presume it's going to be like the thing where you're interviewing someone and then you put that out as a podcast. And because I was aware of that when I was asked to do the first and I was like, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do something different. And uh, so I did, I put this show together and I did it the first time here and then afterwards I met up with a few of my mates and they were like, oh, we're going to go down and have a few cans down on the seafront. And I was like, oh, Delia, yeah, sounds good. That's like, you know, it was really nerve-wracking doing that show. So uh, that's cool. And then, you know, like when you're after just doing something like that, I was just like swallowing the beers. And then so we went back to get a few more beers. And then somebody gave me a ticket to the Mary Wallopers gig that was going on later on that night. And they ended up throwing me in the back of their van and... Cut a long story short, anyway, I woke up in the back of this van up somewhere on the border the next morning, going like, oh man, what's, what's after going on? Just with loads of little like half memories of being at this like big house party and all kinds of stuff going on. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to have a, have a little break from the beer for a while. And uh, so that kind of went on for a month or two. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll keep going for Christmas. I probably want to drink at Christmas. And then Christmas came along and I was going, no, no, I'm really enjoying it being like, you know, nearly four months not drinking now, I'll keep going. And, uh, and I'm still going and I haven't drank since that last uh, gig here. So uh, that feels pretty good. That was cool. And um, <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, yeah, one of the, it's definitely one of the best things I've ever done. Um, but I have gone back on my position on doing live podcast interviews and I was like, ah, it's probably just time I just did the same thing as everyone else and just interview people. So I'm very delighted that um, the man I'm going to be interviewing today, I first met him up in the Pipers Club um, probably about 10 years ago. And there's a thing, like sometimes when you're in places like the, the Pipers Club or wherever else, you know, you're just, I, I'd sometimes would have this thing in my head going, oh, I don't, I don't really belong here, you know, I'm kind of different to everyone else. But then uh, when I seen Jack, I was like, oh, yeah. It's kind of like uh, Atneen, head the ball, head the ball, Ella. So uh, we got on really well then, and we've kind of been in touch ever since. And uh, I'm really delighted that he's going to be joining me here today. So would you please put your hands together and give a very big, warm, and raucous welcome to Jack Dempsey-McMahon, a.k.a. D-Jaculate. So, <laughs> thank you. This year is my year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to end up waking up in a van at the border. So, uh, Jack's going to start off by performing a piece called Rocky's Couch. <laughs>
Jack. Ian, how are you? Let me get comfortable, hang on. Turntablist. Yes. Sample artist. Two-time Scratch World Championship winner. Yes. Illum Pipes player. Yes. Caval player. Kinda. Saw. Ex-saw player. Electronic wind instrument. Yep, 100%. Founding member of the North Strand Contraband. Kinda. Oko Jazz Band. Yep. Um, really good at doing impressions. Mm, yeah. Hot sauce. Hot sauce, yes. Is there anything else I've left out? You used to make beer. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's, that was another thing that we actually bonded over. I think yeah. it started with the pipes and I then, forgot about that. Uh, then the beer was just like... And actually when I first seen Ian at the Pipers Club, I thought he was like his mates had dared him to go to the Pipers Club or something. <laughs> because he's just like, that lad doesn't fit in here at all. No. <laughs> just exactly what I wanted to see. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I think that's that's enough. Yeah, that's enough to go on for, for the moment <laughs> yeah. anyway. I'm pretty good at Street Fighter as well, the computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Mm. I believe it. I think, yeah, there's a really insane attention to detail and precision in your work. I oh, think, and you. all the things Cheers. to do. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. And uh, thanks a million for joining me here today. Oh, yeah, it's my first ever uh, live job interview style scenario so uh, me too yeah cool. yeah, yeah. yeah it's an honor there we go yeah <laughs> well you're very welcome and um well why don't we start off by could you tell me like just on a very physical and corporeal level like what is going on there with that track you just um, played so that track actually funnily enough is it's called rocky's couch which is uh the the title i gave to it was it was I think I came up with it after my my late great dog Rocky passed away, and he oh. used to sleep on a couch. And about a year after he was gone, his couch was still there, and it still smelled like him, you know. And it went yeah. from being a disgusting smell when he was alive to like a like a, oh really miss him. yeah like yeah. the the stink became beautiful after a while. So that's why I called it that. But um, it's it's literally just it's. I recorded the drones off my pipes. So that'd be a D set of pipes? A D set of pipes, but then I, I layered them up and I did a, a few of them and then I just changed the pitch of each of them. So I had like a, so I'm basically using two channels with four notes on each. So okay. that's why I'm going, I'm making two note chords basically with, yeah. with it. And that's kind of it. And one of the notes on the right hand side, the higher uh, voice is being played by the turntable so we can kind of change the speed manipulate it, manipulate that, it that way and kind of add a bit more kind of human touch to it so it's not just a series of chords or whatever but it's basically yeah it's basically a two note chord slow air or march with the beat it started off as a slow air and then i tried it over that march and i was like oh, that's actually that's perfect yeah it's better yeah and more. so that's just like literally the drones there's no chanter it's not just talk. just the drones but but like i said i, I put them into uh, software and like to pitch them or whatnot. pitch them up and down so they're different keys yeah. but they're just yeah just put a uh, crappy microphone to my drones and recorded them and then just put them through some effects yeah so yeah. it's nice uh, homemade feel to it it's like it's like oh, i made those sounds you know yeah it's great yeah. and it's a, a lovely tribute to rocky as well it is he he hated the pipes that's why oh, i called really? out to him yeah he used to like cry when i was practicing <laughs> whatever the, the the freak the like sub or the yeah, supersonic yeah. frequencies that come off the pipes like I'm sure the dogs hate it like. I think it changes from dog to dog there was one dog when I was in New Orleans a few months ago when I was playing he used to howl along while I was playing especially well, if you're doing a slow air so when you go up into the second octave well, just that, like, yeah same as Rocky but I don't think Rocky's howls it wasn't were howls of approval they were howls of like <laughs> it wasn't a, a good howl <laughs> yeah ouch <laughs> cool so would you say then making like scratch music would that be like your main kind of artistic output it was initially yeah that, that that's how I got into music originally was through 
DJ and then subsequently scratching, which is basically like turning your turntables into, I suppose a good analogy is if you get like a, a guitar, you know, and if you're DJing, the analogy is you're, you're literally using the guitar as a veron. And yeah, then you're like, hang on a second, yeah. I can play chords on this thing. So that was kind of when you discover scratching with DJ equipment. You're like, oh shit, I can actually do loads of using stuff. Using the with decks this. as an instrument. Yeah, totally. And you can get like, because you can use any sound, um, you can start incorporating guitar pedals, loop pedals, and stuff yeah, like that. And yeah. you can really kind of open up the uh, possibilities of what you can do artistically. So that was my first passion was that. And then from that, I got into other kind of instruments, mainly as a to prove a point to any arseholes that were like, turntables are a real instrument. And I'd be like, fuck you, I'm going to learn a real instrument and show you that. Like, and then well, you, learned, you, learned, uh, you learned how to scratch and I learned saxophone. And yeah, I'll see you in a yeah. year, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I kind of got into other music kind of in a little bit out of spite to kind of prove well, snobby musicians wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you, you playing, like doing, doing scratch stuff on the decks was you hadn't played any instruments really before no, that? nothing at all. Really? I never did a piano lesson, never, never cared about a guitar, never cared about anything Holy like that. moly. Went from like, yeah, from nothing to got into like kind of crappy teenager house music-y stuff and then quickly <laughs> fell out of love with that and was like, all right, it's scratching, which was mainly hip hop at yeah. the time, but I never really liked rapping or rappers. So I liked the inside, I always buy the instrumental album with no rapping on it. Okay. And yeah, I'd listen to that. So you weren't, you didn't get, I kind of presumed you would have gotten into a true hip hop. No, I got into a true uh, rave. Really? Basically, yeah. Okay. Because back in the 90s and stuff, you would find DJs would scratch a bit more. Just little bits, you know, but you'd hear it more, more frequently. And as well, in the later 90s, then bands started to incorporate DJs. And it, like you'd have Beck had the DJ, you had like... Uh, Oh, Linkin Park and those lads, they were like kind of big yeah, commercial breakthroughs. Yeah, the new metal kind of Portishead had, had their amazing albums with like very predominant kind of turntable uh, yeah, components yeah. or voice to it's it. It's definitely a sound that seemed to be around much more just in the general time, ether yeah. back then. Apparently as well, turntables outsold guitars in 2001 or something like that. No I think. Way. It was just, it was a big massive like spike in yeah. interest in uh, turntablism and then it just dropped. And so have you seen like much of a change go on in that scene over the last 20 years? Yeah, it's completely just like, I'm like a, a, a living dinosaur now. Like there's, <laughs> Grumpy there's, old man. There's nobody around. Like <laughs> I, have to, I have to travel for two and a half hours to, to find someone to scratch with, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, but uh, it's kind of cool in one way, but it's also a little bit hard to get inspiration because uh, you don't really have a peer group around to... You know, yeah. like if you're part of a scene, like the kind of the folky revival now in Dublin and traddy stuff, there's loads of young people. It's everywhere. Everywhere, like yeah. you can you can just bump into people and it'll be like, oh, let's play. Whereas with what I'm doing, I'm kind of uh, alone in the ocean. Yeah, which is yeah. Cool in one way, but it's also very lonely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember you invited me along to the online um, Scratch community games. Mm. I think about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, it seemed like there was definitely like a community there, but it's probably very dispersed exactly, around yeah. different countries and different cities. Exactly, that's that's kind of the thing. There's an event in Galway, which is about which is about 15 years strong now, um, in a small pub, and it's like a two-day event, and it started off as a kind of an antidote to the competitive DJ because the scratch thing was very uh, battle-focused at the start. They were yeah. constantly having these competitions and see who'd win, which is great for kind of uh, boosting the 
the development of the art. But once you get to a certain stage, it's like, okay, we need to stop competing and start to actually make some music, you know? So these guys in Galway, uh, Jimmy Penguin and Naive Ted uh, and uh, Danny Debo and Mikey Fingers, these four guys that lived in the one house were all brilliant turntablists and also trad kind of heads as well, which is interesting. Yeah. And uh, they started this event as kind of an antidote to the battle scene and to be more yeah. of a kind of a community-based thing. And then every year, just more people from England came over, then people from Poland, and now you got people from Chile and like Singapore and all over to come to this tiny little pub in Galway for like a what's kind of like the scratch flag. But it's not just scratching; it's like music yeah. with a kind of a turntable as the main focus. So yeah, yeah, the one you've seen was online because of the whole lockdown stuff. So. Yeah, it seemed to be a, a really nice kind of DIY kind of community buzz. Everybody mm. knew each other and was supporting each other. Yeah, it's a very it's, it's a it's really like nice a family, vibe. Yeah, it's mad. Like it's some of, some of my best mates now are through that kind of avenue, you know, and I've yeah. toured with them and stuff, and it's it's amazing what like a scene or a common interest can can kind of do for your just oh, your personal yeah. life and your social life and stuff. Yeah, like no that. matter what it is, it's mm. amazing. But uh, yeah, the fact that this. Like all of the guys, I'm in a, I'm in a group, and all of us live two and a half hours away from each other. So it's like, we we only meet on stage to play. So yeah, it's like yeah. me, Dublin, guy from Galway, guy from Bristol, and a guy from Brighton. So like, is that the Scratch Lords? Yeah, that's that's cool. as, that's as, that's how close the people, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Are. It's that's how spread out we are. But sure, it's still going. So yeah, that's great. And you mentioned there, deviant and naive Ted, and that's someone who I would kind of like associate with you in not that you've probably done stuff together but more just like ideologically you know just mm. with the kind of the preponderance of traditional elements in yes. both of your uh, practices I suppose yeah totally um I think yeah my, my interest came more from from giving up scratching and taking up other instruments like I kind of stopped scratching for about seven to ten years just to learn other wind instruments and you know saxophone and then Irish stuff so then when I got back into it I was like hang on I might as well use the stuff I learned from that yeah and try and incorporate it into that whereas I think Andy's thing was just he's he's always just had this interest in like using the material to kind of construct a new uh, yeah. thing and he has a, an album which is like a masterpiece called Send In The Hounds yeah which is just all, all all vinyl loop pedal reconstructions of uh, old Irish records it's, you know it. yeah no, yeah, it's brilliant. Good. It's absolutely it's brilliant. Amazing, yeah. Because for my like my own interests, I would have been much more into just the straight up like recordings of piping. You know, mm -hmm. like I would be mad into Tommy Wreck and Willie Clancy and just listening to old recordings. But I think these days, I really like I'm getting kind of fascinated of people who are like using those traditional elements to come up with something completely new and unique. And it's kind of like, yeah, I know it's not the thing, but Blasphemous. it's like it's. <laughs> but it's it's really something amazing and really impressive in itself, you know. And I think that deviant and naive Ted record is is really something else. Yeah, and the fact that it's all done by hand, there's no effects or anything. Yeah, it's, it's not it's done. It's not like mixed in a DAW on and a laptop it, or whatever. No, exactly. And it all just it just came out one of these releases that there's so many of now. It just comes out under the radar. No one notices it, and then somebody yeah. finds it and it's like that's amazing. And then you go back. But at the time, it was just like a dropping the ocean, you know. It's yeah, mad how, yeah. How it kind of is now with the uh, just massive amounts of stuff being released. Yeah, yeah definitely, no, one, it's definitely one to look up if you're interested in uh, unusual uses of traditional Irish records. Yeah, no, mm. it's definitely worth a listen. Um, I'd recommend it to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, any sign of an album 
of your own? There is, yeah. Music? Of course, yeah, there is. And it's, it's, it's getting less scratchy. You know, I remember I did a gig recently and uh, my dad said to me afterwards, he was like, you need to scratch more on your gigs because <laughs> oh, I've, yeah. kind of, I've kind of gone away from the scratching a bit more. I'm still using it, but yeah. it's not like, whereas before my gigs would be really heavily focused on the kind of the virtuoso we kind of like, let's, you know, let's show you my 15 years of yeah. practice, you know, <laughs> whereas now I'm just like, oh, I'd just rather do something a bit more, something that I'd like to listen to, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. That but makes yeah, sense. Maybe you, you take breaks, so maybe I'll get mad into doing that again soon. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm more into kind of doing uh, melodic kind of stuff, stuff that's more, I don't know, stuff that I can sing in my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when that's fair enough. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later, but for now, I'm really interested in what drew you to the pipes, because you weren't just le learning the pipes as an instrument, you're, you're also making them. Yes. And is it true that you made your own set of pipes that you play, that's like the set that you would have heard on Rocky True, Stitch? yeah, but to be honest, I didn't make the drones and I did record the drones. Oh, okay. But I made everything else, I made the chanter, the bag and bellows and the reed obviously but yeah, yeah so I, I i got into piping around the, s the exact same time as i got into pipe making because when i joined the pipers club there was a i was about a month in and then i seen this like pamphlet or something that was a uh, pipe making car starting and i was i don't know what age i was about 10 years ago whatever and i was like oh, i'd love a, a career like a cool kind of career like that so yeah like, sign me up and my my dad's a cabinet maker so i've been around sawdust a lot yeah i'm okay with sawdust yeah exactly um so i was like that's perfect i'm interested in this new thing and i could learn how to make it and play it around the same time so it was, ju it was just because i joined and i was mad keen and so I, what, what led you to joining though um I, well i suppose an interest in in the pipes was came from it's from being interested in music from other countries, like Eastern European music. I was really into that before I mm. even cared about Irish music. I didn't notice about it. And then when I got into Eastern European music and Bulgarian pipes, I remember I had a, I had a few weird recordings of the Bulgarian Gaida. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing. And then I heard some Irish recordings and I was like, holy shit, that's like just as good. And then everything was like, oh my God, well, I'm sitting on a gold mine of yeah, deadly yeah. music and I, I've only just opened my eyes up to it, which was Irish the, music. The Bulgarian gaita, are they the ones that it's just like basically like a sheep Pretty with like much. a chanter coming out of its head and like its arms and legs. They can be, like, yeah. <laughs> they can be, yeah. You yeah. can make them, you can make them like they're that. You can, you can also get more like kind of subtle ones as well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're pretty ancient and pretty basic, like one octave. It's like bagpipes kind of from every country around pretty much, Europe. Yeah. Pretty I remember much seeing that. a poster once of a, bagpipes from like all the bagpipes there is and it's like almost as many bagpipes as there is yeah. countries in Europe anyway but even yeah. if you look up in Scotland they got like the you know the great highland pipes and the Scottish small pipes yeah and a little bit further down you've got the Northumbrian small pipes I love them oh, it's like Game Boy music <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so good yeah they're cute <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah so that got me into it and then what what really triggered it once was uh, I was in a band that played the Eastern European stuff the uh, North Strand Klezmer we'll band. talk a bit about that later okay, on. Okay, well. but, but we were backstage doing a gig and Keela were playing after us. I okay. presume after us, because we were like kind of Mickey Mouse at the time. And uh, Owen Dillon, is that the pipe? The Owen yeah. Dillon, yeah, he was backstage in, a, in the green room and he was just warming up playing the pipes. And it was the first time I'd ever heard them in real life, like not oh, no through way. a speaker or a microphone, just heard them like in the room. And I was like blown away. And I was like, fuck, my, completely. That was it. I was like hearing them, hearing them being played up close is like a totally different totally experience. Different. Yeah, than I don't think microphones can pick, They can't pick up the yeah. little things that. It's make like it you like can feel the air like 
blowing your back. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's something to, there's something to it. That's yeah, it's definitely. So that was it, and then from there I was like, like, where do I find out more about this? And I went around. I don't know. I think I went to like some tourist places in, in on Dame Street, and I was like, how do I find out about yeah. pipes? And some nice lady was like, Henrietta Street. There's a pipers club. Oh, amazing. So I knocked up there, and uh, Jerry is that the guy? The what was that yeah. guy? Jerry Lyons, guy? I think. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. He was there and he was mad, accommodating and friendly. Yeah. He gave me all the pamphlets. Next thing you know, I was pipe nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I always found it amazing there because when, when I was, when I started, it was about 15 years ago when I went up first, but mm. I look, looked like a way more of a head to ball mm. than I look like now. Like I had like a totally shaved head and all these like dreads and <laughs> it's kind of just like filthy rags. And I uh, just went up and knocked on the door and like, oh yeah, come on in. Yeah. Here's yeah. a set of pipes on loan and signed yeah. me up. And so I actually got into the pipes by accident. Because uh, my favourite film in the world is The Wicker Man, as anyone who knows me will know. And um, good, good I, thought, I thought, for some reason, I thought that the Northumbrian small pipes that you hear mm. at the start, you know when he's in the biplane at the start, mm -hmm. and you hear the drones starting up, and that song comes in, it's like, Now I have come to the low country. And I thought that was, for some reason, I thought that was the Ellen Pipes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, amazing, yeah, I'm going to learn the Ellen Pipes, and I can play out the tunes in The Wicker Man. And uh, and then I went and I got, got into the pipes and I was like, oh, it's the wrong instrument. But I was like, ah, these are cool anyway. I'm going <laughs> to stick with these. Else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are probably the closest yeah, yeah. I can get to it. But um, yeah, it was the same thing. I didn't know where to go and I was looking around and mm. somebody gave me like this set of pipes, but it was just like really badly made and they were impossible to play. Yeah. And I brought them down to the pipers club and they were like, yeah, you can't, you can't play and throw those out and just get set on loan. Yeah, I, I did them as well. For, for yeah. the start, these like terrible. I don't know where they're made, but they're like cheap. Yeah, but yeah, you go down there and they're like, oh, "Come here to me." So yeah, come here. No, they were, they were great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you have. I want to play a recording here that you sent me. Well, yeah, this is the first recording I, um, Ellen Pipes that I really got into and listened to like loads of times. And it was off. It's off. I don't know what album it's off. From Leo Rosen, but it's on Clannad, uh, or sorry, Clatter. Clatter Records. Clatter Records uh, compilation, which okay. is a really good starting point. I'm sure there's there's a load of. Uh, Tourists who have, you know, back when Clatter Records was open, who got this because it's, it's it's just like a, a sampler. It's like a sampler kind of, of loads yeah. of stuff, but there's some really really good stuff in it. And this is, I think, the only piping tune on it. But it's there's just something about the playing on it that I, I just love and the the regulator rhythmy stuff yeah. that he does. And I just yeah, it, it was the first tune, the first solo piping tune that I was kind of obsessed with. And uh, okay. I forgot about it for years, so yeah, that's that's why I chose this. And we'll play this. So, this is the, a set of tunes The Kerry Jig and the Ballantar Fancy by Leo Rousam. Thank you. 
goes into like a dance hall rhythm at the end. Yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. It, it's just so much rhythm in the. Yeah, it's like a constant vamping on the regs yeah, the whole you, way. You, you don't get so so commonly, you know, it's normally mm. a bit more sporadic, you know, so. Yeah, that was a, a pretty bad first choice because then everything else, I was like, oh, where's all the regulars going? <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, there was, yeah, I remember when I started getting into piping, if you went down to the ILAC library, they had like a whole, a really good like traditional music section. And there was a Leo Rosum, um, I might have been a double CD, but it was called Classics of Irish Piping. Mm. I think it was the last album that he did. Um, but they had great stuff in there, so I used to get it and then like bring it home and burn it all onto my computer and nice. photocopy the covers. Yeah, that was a great little library. That was deadly, yeah. 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 And it was like, kind of, that was the way I got really like, managed to like submerse myself into mm. the sounds of traditional Irish music, you know. So when I think when I started listening to it, I just had no idea what was going on. I was like, how did I make it? Sometimes it sounds like this and sometimes it sounds like this and didn't know that some of them were playing flat sets and some yeah. of them were playing concert pitch sets and didn't know what crans were or anything like that, you know. Yeah. I really had a very limited... Yeah, you really need a, uh, someone to kind of show you the, the ropes yeah. at the start. It's, it's, it's very hard to reverse engineer it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, but no, it's great stuff. There's something, I don't know, is it because of pictures I've seen of Leo Rousen, but like uh, there's something really, really stately about the music, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's got yeah. a very, like, it's, you can just imagine him like there in a suit and, yeah, yeah, you know, like back up straight. Yeah. There's something about it like that's just very proper sounding, you know. It, it definitely with that one anyway, yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah. There's actually, one of the, I learned a really good tip uh, from Leo Rousen from, it was a talk done by his daughter, I think, in the, in the Peabre Island. Oh, um, Helena Rousen, so. I, I can't remember her name, but, but it was a really interesting talk about him and, the family and stuff, but there was pictures of a barbecue, and uh, he was saying that Da Leo used to use the bellows from the uh, pipes to get the to get the barbecue going. going. And ever since then, I've used them, and my barbecue game has gone. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's an incredible. <laughs> like, I've almost ruined the bellows from using it too. Yeah, yeah. I use them more for barbecues than I do for actual <laughs> piping. Like. But uh, it's a good tip, top tip if you uh, have a bellows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's uh, it's I love listening to all the chords because you don't really hear people playing the regs like that. No. These days, like I, I mean, I'm sure there's someone out there that could prove me wrong that mm. you know plays in that in that kind of style. But which I I have heard people talking about being from the southeast of the country, like around Wexford, mm. they would have played more like that. Okay, like some people right. associate it like with a traveller style, but apparently it's just that the travellers they're talking about who I think is like Felix and Johnny Doran. Mm. So they would have stemmed from around that part of the country as well, right, so it was okay. more of a, a regional, regional thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as long as it doesn't sound like a traffic jam, sometimes it yeah. doesn't sound like a traffic jam. If like I tried to do it, it would sound <laughs> like a <laughs> very bad traffic jam. That's the same. Yeah, but there's something about like I love about old recordings of Irish music, mm -hmm. um, that you just something something in them that you don't really hear. I don't know whether is it is it just some kind of wildness or some kind of more of a devil may care attitude. The, the frequency range as well of both the the microphones, yeah. the medium that it would have been recorded on, and the instruments are all kind of yeah. in the same narrow, middly kind of range of, mm. of, of frequencies. There's not much bass. There's not much really high end. It's so yeah. the technology suited the the music, I think, and you know it's not like you, you, there's no bass to lose. You know what I yeah, mean? And there's yeah. no like you hear some old recordings of big bands and the bass is gone because the mics and the format that it was recorded on just can't reproduce those low frequencies yeah. whereas with Irish music it's all kind of you know alto soprano-y kind of range so it's uh, it it cuts onto older 78s and stuff better I think you know yeah yeah 
Well, I think the following um, is from a 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I have was, the oak here, actually, the, the oak. It's, oh, it's from that compilation, <laughs> The Wheels of the World. Yeah. Which is, what's the, the subtitle on it? It's Classics. Classics of Irish Tradition. Classics of Irish Tradition music, but it's like Irish music recorded in the States. And the track is from a fella called Packy Dolan. Um, he had a group called Packy Dolan and the Melody Boys, and they made some recordings in 1928, 1929, I think. He's been called um, the forgotten fiddle player of the 1920s from Ballinamuck in County Longford. And he emigrated to the States when he was like 13 with his sister who was nine or something like that. Um, And they moved to Brooklyn in New York. And he was a plumber and then he played music at nighttime. And he formed the Melody Boys in order to play in like the big kind of clubs and kind of make a few bob Mm -hmm. on the side. Um, But then apparently after the Wall Street crash, there wasn't much call for music, but he had the plumbing to fall back on. Um, but he he died at a young age. I think he died when he was like in his thirties. Um, he was working on the construction of Rikers Island prison, and there was an explosion on the ferry that was bringing the workers over, Whoa. and it killed them all. Shit. Yeah, but um, he he left us with a number of recordings. So there's this one. Um, it's entitled "The Lasses of Donnybrook." Mm. Um, it's two tunes that you you sent. Um, this was recorded, I think. 1928, um, but it's called right. The Lasses of Donnybrook, but the tunes I know, the first one is, um, did you ever hear a tune called like, Johnny When You Die, Will You Leave To Me Your Fiddle? Yes. Johnny When You Die, Will You Leave To Me Your Fiddle, oh, Johnny When You Die, Will You Leave To Me Your Bow? Uh, it's the, the same tune, which I don't know, is that The Lasses of Donnybrook? That it's called here, The Lasses of Donnybrook, and then the other one is um, Some Say The Devil Is Dead, or Love Will You Marry Me? It's that tune, but I think they're um, Highlands. Yeah. That, like Highland, there's like this group of tunes, Highlands, Stratspays, and Scottishes. Mm. Um, they're they're like I think they're like two four timing, but they're like they're all based on like Scottish tunes, but they're like we played a lot up in like Donegal and stuff. Mm. I think that's the only place they've really survived. But it's I I can't tell the difference between whether something is a Scottish or a Stratspay or a Highland, but because they're, they're all very, very close. It sounded uh, like Appalachian or something to me. It sounded American to me. I suppose these were recorded in the States. Yeah. Um, but uh, to me, when I first heard it, it sticks out from the other recordings because it, it sounds completely kind of mutated to the other recordings. It has that kind of, I don't know, like a, a touch occasion or something in it or some kind of it's yeah American kind of influence, whether it's like the kind of mountainy, you know, music. Uh, of the states or whatever, or whether it's the Highland fling that gives it that. But to me, it just stuck out, and I was like, "What the hell is this? This is really interesting." Doesn't sound like any other tunes, but that's yeah, why I grabbed my eye. It's really it, there was a lot of really interesting stuff recorded around that time, and a lot of it had to do, I think, with the fact that the record companies, like whether it was Columbia or Victor or whoever, would like they'd provide backing musicians mm. to play because they're like, oh, well, you can't just have a fella playing the fiddle or playing the flute. Like, you need to have a lad, like, plonking away on a piano behind them. And it has resulted in some very, very wonky records. Mm. Like, really strange For, sound stuff. musical marriages, like. Yeah, yeah, like, really, and it's all out of tune and just, like, some lad just <laughs> lost his mind on this piano. Like, it's mad sound and stuff. But this one I really like because it, so it has bones. Yeah on it, it's got a whistle, mm-hmm. a fiddle, which is like something that surfaced many years later with Cole Tory Coolin and Sean O'Reilly. 
the group that went on to become the chieftains mm -hmm. had a kind of similar kind of sound, you know, the bower on and bones and it, it, yeah, it, whistle, yeah. fiddle. Um, but anyway, I'll give this one a listen. So it's titled as The Lasses of Donnybrook and this is Packy Dolan and his Melody Boys. <laughs> concealed like like a repressed chaos to that it's like the music is alive and just trying to burst out of its confines it's like there's some like inherent wildness yeah, to it it feels like the bones players keeping the lads in check <laughs> yeah, just like, about like yeah, yeah <laughs> struggling to keep them like yeah on their seats or whatever yeah it definitely sounds like that if, like if you were to take him away <laughs> what would happen <laughs> three times as fast but yeah, like, yeah. Mm. no it's absolutely brilliant i love hearing records like that it's just like if I could have that music in my head all day long, I'd be <laughs> a happy man. Yeah, just walking around with a smile on my face. 
a little uh, skip to my step. Tap shoes on. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, so you were saying there that like the first time you really heard the pipes in real life, mm. it was backstage, uh, a gig that Keeler were playing at. Yes. You heard Alan Dillon. But you were playing there um, with uh, the North Strand Contraband yes. band that you were a kind of founding member of. Mm. Um, what was the story with the North Strand Contraband? It was a bunch of North Dublin lads who all pretty much went to the same school and accidentally got into klezmer music. Um, two of the lads that were brothers, uh, Luke and Daniel Page, and their father is Wally Page. Wally Page wrote some tunes for Christy Moore. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's like a great singer songwriter. He actually wants to give Lancome some tunes, so I might hit you up with his email. He, Sounds. He, he was like, <laughs> saying, tell him, I want Lancome to do some of my tunes. But, uh, Sounds good. Yeah, him and Johnny Mulhern have a kind of duo. They're really good. They write amazing tunes and perform still. But Johnny, uh, Wally's musical partner, the dad's musical partner, uh, lived in Turkey for a while. A few years and I came back and just I think he had a Saz and loads of recordings from that part of the world and I think yeah. it just accidentally got into the two brothers that were my mates well. heads and so when everyone when you're like a late teenager and you you know everyone's getting into their music that kind of they identify with and makes I like this music you know because I think it's cool and yeah if you like that music you're cool if you don't you're not cool kind of thing when you're at that age they name three it. Metallica songs. Yeah, exactly. They somehow got into like uh, music of the Balkans, pretty much. Yeah, just like accidentally. That's so mad. it was mad, but 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 I also had this kind of like yeah, well, not really knows about this except for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it We're was into this it. cool thing that no one else knows about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> what's cooler than that? Yeah. <laughs> but it's what uh, we're all striving for exactly, at the end yeah. of the day. So the lads got Luke played piano, um, so he got an accordion. And then Dan's wanted to get a soprano sax, but made a mistake and got a clarinet. But he thought it was a soprano sax, but uh, he stuck with it anyway. And the two of them, with another friend of ours who played some percussion stuff, they started busking. They just learned one or two tunes. They uh, would have learned them from their dad or what? No, they would have learned it. Actually, I think what, uh, there was a recording of this uh, klezmer musician called Andy Statman, who's he's still going now. And he would have been... Um, he had an instructional video uh, how to play klezmer music, actual VHS, and I think Dan's got that, and it t told you how to play three traditional klezmer tunes and well, gave you all of the kind of the ornamentation and the specific, you know, things like that. So I think they learned some of that from that, and then also uh, reverse engineering stuff by slowing it down and playing it like that so well, it's a lot they harder had back then too that kind of stuff like now you just rip it off youtube and you can put it in your well, yeah, into reaper or whatever you know exactly it was it was a bit more of a slog back then yeah. but they did it and they had i don't know they got a repertoire of about two or three tunes that they just do on loop busking and because of the novelty factor yeah and it's they quite busking music I'd yeah imagine. very much so and it's very it's very lively as well yeah. so then eventually someone seen uh them and was like do you want the gig and they were like sure we don't have a band like and uh it was a two-hour gig that it was going to be every Friday in the Gaiety. Wow. Remember the Gaiety used to go till five or six in the morning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back in a long time ago, I used to, like, I think we closed at half five or something. It was, like, crazy. Wow. When all the, everything else closed, the Gaiety was still open for another two yeah. hours. So they got offered a gig, and they needed to get a band together. And I had just accidentally gotten a sax as well. As uh, how does that happen? I know. <laughs> it, 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 
it was it was all very accidental how it all happened. But uh, <laughs> my my mum got I think my dad got my 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 ma a saxophone for her fortieth birthday. No, she said she loved sax the saxophone, but I don't think she ever had any inclination of playing the saxophone. I think she was just sexually attracted to saxophone players. <laughs> so therefore, said, oh, well, well it is a sleazy so instrument. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very sexy. But it was sitting under the bed for like about 10 years. And then it just came to a point where like they were thinking about selling stuff and that was one of the things that was going to be sold. And I was like, yeah. oh, don't sell that. That's the that's golden, yeah, magical, yeah. you know, tried it. And I thought it was a trumpet at the time. <laughs> and it was like a, the kind of, the scenario of like well we won't get rid of it we won't sell it if you learn it so i was like okay i'll learn it so i started learning it i got one or two lessons and then just very quickly the lads were like oh you play sax get in the band so i was well, like treading water like like drowning every gig <laughs> just like just just enough practice to barely be able to make well, it through that's each really gig impressive it though, so yeah but, but it was a, a weekly thing and there was seven of us and we we did a two-hour show well it was a two-hour show, but we took like a 45-minute break in the middle yeah, of the two, yeah, the two yeah, halves. as you do. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was a great, uh, it was a really hardcore, old-school learning experience of how to like yeah. be, in a, be in a band even and it's just like be on stage. The, the Beatles in Hamburg kind yeah. of job, yeah. It's like like Elvis at the end of his career, but like <laughs> none of us knew how to play. <laughs> but I think the fact that we were we were we were shit and we didn't really know how we played it gave us this accidental punk element that people were like, oh yeah, yeah. they don't care. But we were trying really hard to be good. Trying your best. We were trying our best, <laughs> but it just came across real punky because we just didn't have the we didn't put the wow. hours in, you know. But um, Daniel was really good, and some of the some of the guys are really good. I was fucking terrible, but I, I held it up. You kept on. Anyway. kept going and was like kind of like a it did do other stuff but yeah then that that gave us um a lot of experience two appearances on the late late show no way no recordings that's that's an achievement no recordings ever no. <laughs> i saw you play once oh really in yeah the, yeah in the like conor nagelga oh yeah i remember that yeah down yeah. over the connolly under connolly yeah yeah i, yeah, I was that. at that gig yeah just so many gigs yeah. some of them are awful some of them are brilliant <laughs> i thought it was class i mean i had no yeah. idea you know what was going on, but well, yeah, it sounded we, good to me. We didn't have any competition really, so it was it was handy. Yeah, was yeah. I think it was probably lucky that you were doing it in Dublin and nobody really. There's no like klezmer experts gonna come in and be like, oh, actually, exactly. yeah. Well, no, we you'd be surprised. We used to busk in Merchants Arch, and you get some people like who were very like, that's not it. And also the fact that klezmer music is, it's. Originally, it was Jewish music, and it is still known as Jewish music. Jewish music from Eastern Europe. From Eastern Europe, but yeah, it initially started off as kind of. Uh, Yiddish melodies and stuff like that, but then as the song got popularized, it, it just adopted loads of other Romanian, Bulgarian, other kind of dances and rhythms and stuff, and, okay. and it became this kind of all-encompassing name that wasn't specifically Jewish, but due to the fact that it, there was these religious connotations to it, we decided to change the name to North Strand Contraband, because it was just a non-religion specific so you originally were North Strand Klezmer, Klezmer band. band, yeah. But oh, then we stopped okay. playing Klezmer music. We were playing all these other tunes from other parts of the Balkans. So and would it be no mainly just like Balkan and kind of Eastern stuff? Yeah, it ended up being kind of more Romanian and uh, Serbian kind of melodies well, and Bulgarian. It's all kind of wedding music from that from that region. It's all very yeah. lively and very. Uh, it's like trad, but with solos in the middle of it and loads of diminished chords. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're saying, there was like all these accidents involved in the band coming together. I was, was, was going to make some shit joke about there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, about there being lots of accidentals in Klezmer music. But yeah. I'm oh, glad oh, I didn't oh, make that, that joke. Um, <laughs> I get it. No, I get it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, next, the next track that I have here to play, this man, he probably wasn't a very religious man. 
even though he's renowned as being a, a klezmer player. Um, Naftul Brandvine, or Nifty Brandvine, as he was mm. known as in the States. What was the story with him? Yeah, no, I have some cheat sheet notes here. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was the son of a wedding jester. Uh, a jester? A jester. Back then, they used to have like a wedding jester. I think they should bring that back. Uh, but he also played fiddle, because you had to do double job back then as well. But he was Fiddle a, and clarinet? Fiddle, no, his dad played fiddle. Oh, okay. His dad was a fiddle player. So he Just fiddle? Fiddle and clown. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he, uh, Naftuli was a clarinet player and played in the kind of traditional klezmer style. But he would have been around the time when they started to adopt all the different music. And it was in America as well a lot of time. He was from Poland originally. But uh, did a lot of his recordings and work in the States where there would have been a big scene of that stuff. But um, yeah, he was famous for being uh, a massive boozer and a massive like kind of ladies man. He like they wouldn't he wouldn't play unless he got like a load of booze and was like knew that you know there was some ladies in the audience. He used to like pull his jocks down in the middle of his, of his sets and he used to wrap himself in Christmas lights and <laughs> have voluminous stuff. This is in, in the in like the twenties and yeah. stuff, was it? Yeah, and the music is quite. Um, as you'll hear, there's there's an air of like, kind of holiness to it in a way, but it's also very playful. But you can just imagine someone pulling their jocks down in the middle of like, what you'll hear next, and just it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, and he he fell out with every single, uh, band member. He was he couldn't hold the band together because he was just so difficult. He was just such a madman. He was just yeah, he was just he just was like a bollocks basically. <laughs> and um, but, but <laughs> a brilliant player and like very entertaining to watch, but yeah. a nightmare to work with. Oh, and did he have some connection to Murder Inc? Yeah, he he. I think he was their favorite. I think they were they hired him all the time for like parties <sighs> and stuff. Yeah. Well, so um, after a brand point. So what's the story of this track? It's called Nifty's Frylock. Yeah, Nifty's Frylock. So Nifty was his anglicised name when he uh, Naftuli is a bit too hard to pronounce, so they gave him a stage name called Nifty. Nifty. Nifty, which is a cool, cool yeah. stage yeah, name. And Frylock is basically it's like a I think it means like jovial or like jolly. And it's like a two-four dance, basically. So it's like Nifty's jolly two-four dance, essentially. <laughs> yeah. But <it's laughs> well, jolly Deep. Nifty and his two-four dances. And would, so, would this have been like wedding music? Mm. You think? Hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It'd be wedding music. I think this is from his later recordings, um, where he was. He actually it wasn't as strictly klezmer. It was more playful and more kind of like. Like like a pinch of Duke Ellington kind of arrangement to it and stuff, so better okay. backing and stuff, and not yeah. just the basic kind of three piece like the previous tune. It's more big bandy, you know. Um, but yeah, it w the melody and the rhythm and the dance would be definitely the kind of stuff you'd you'd be guaranteed to hear if you went to a wedding back then. Okay, so yeah. we give this a spin anyway. This is Naftool or Nifty Brandvine and Nifty's Freilach. <laughs> Thank you. 
that's absolutely class. Yeah. I love the uh, the wood block, the drums on the yeah, wood block. Yeah, they always have like a, a C section or a B, D section. It's like an A, B, and a C or a D, which is just the wood block comes out for that one bit. Yeah, yeah, it reminds cool. me of like some Kaylee band yeah. recordings. It's nice. Yeah. It's simple, but yeah, makes yeah. a big, big difference. I was thinking there, like I was thinking there must be some parallels with like Klezmer musicians going to the States and like Irish musicians as well and finding like a kind of a platform and an audience there that they wouldn't have had back here at the time. Mm. Like you hear about um, like Francis O'Neill, the police captain, he was mm -hmm. like collecting music in Chicago, like say from like the late 19th century, like over the turn of the century. And like basically in Chicago at the time, and I imagine New York would have been similar. If you were like an Irish musician there, you would have had access to like people playing all these different regional styles from like, mm. you know, Sligo, Donegal, like uh, Limerick, yeah. whatever, you know, you, you, wouldn't have have travel, yeah. you wouldn't have had that experience if you were here, you know, mm -hmm. you would have had to travel a lot more. And also the fact that the clergy here at the time were kind of coming down hard on the music and mm. musicians. But over there, obviously, people had a lot more yeah. um, freedom to play the music. But it, I'd, I just wonder if there was a similar situation for like klezmer musicians going over there. And I mean, imagine it would have really helped their careers. Seems to be careers. in the same area, yeah. Just, just whether they mingled in, in, in where they settled, you know. Um, yeah. But as well as I think when you're when you're overseas. You kind of pine for your own culture more as well. So you're, but you're like I remember, like I learned most of the trad tunes I know when I was in another country because it was yeah. like, oh, it just sounds better. It's more, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. When you're here, you're like, oh, whatever. But then when you're away, yeah. you're like, oh, Ireland. <laughs> you, you know. There's much more to it. Like there's a yeah, I was the same. Like was I was living in London when I started really get mm. like listening to Planksty and the mm. Dubliners and stuff like that. You know, it definitely took on it, it just a whole different layer yeah. of meaning for me. You know, definitely, when I was yeah. when I was over there. I wouldn't have had back here, yeah. That magic. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Patriotic Just sauce. <laughs> the patriotic sauce is <laughs> liberally poured <laughs> over the whole thing. Yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but I was going to say, do you feel like performing another yeah, one?
that was class. Thanks. Um, that was amazing. So that, that's an electronic wind instrument. Yes, it's a, it was my first purchase of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, when pup. Yeah, the pup, yeah. Oh, was, but yeah, it was, it was very hard to spend your money because uh, you couldn't go out Yeah. during that time. So that was my first... Big uh, purchase. It was my first synth I've ever bought. Like, cause oh, it's, well. it's basically a synth yeah. in the body of a wind instrument. Uh, so it was my first uh, toe dip into the world of synthesis. So it was great because it just tied in with my experience playing sax and yeah. stuff like that. And so was that based on a Hungarian tune you were saying Yeah, it's earlier? based on a guy that I actually get lessons off. I, um, he's like a musical mentor, essentially. He's a Hungarian sax player, but he also plays the iwi amazingly, and he's been playing it for years. And uh, yeah, I've been getting kind of online uh, mentorship of him and that's a tune I learned from him and his wife and the beat uh, the kind of rhythm of the thing is a his wife plays it's like a, a weird version of a cello that you hit with a stick so you hit it and then you pluck the strings it's, so it's like a percussion instrument but it always has a because it's a string there's a tone yeah, to the yeah. thing and then just one string is it it's two strings two. two strings um and then the usually the husband would play the melodic instrument and I seen a gig there recently, and uh, there was a couple playing that exact same dynamic, and they were, they referred to it as the the marriage saving instrument because <laughs> the woman hits it really hard, and the man plays away, and it's like they get out all their anger, and they can like play yeah, yeah. instead of <laughs> instead of killing each other and throwing like vases at each other, they can just like play a few tunes and like really hit the shit out of it and like sort out their problems. Sounds like a very like, positive Sounds like a brilliant thing to do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should introduce it. That's amazing. It's a shame more people don't do that. I know, yeah. talk about now you I will, will, won't mention the name of the place but at a certain indeterminate time in the past you have worked in a record shop oh yes yes how has that helped you now obviously like you're probably always on the lookout for new records and stuff like that to play around that with. used to be the case yes yeah. I kind of I'm like I'm like a, a, a how many seven twelve steps I'm a recovered record addict basically recovered or recovered fully recovered really? no fully recovered how many records do you own it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Too many, but it's it's like none of them are worth anything really. A lot of them are just because when I started off, I I didn't see I seen records I suppose as colors like like if you were buying crayons or paint, you know what I mean? I didn't yeah, really I didn't yeah. really see the records like oh, I want to listen to that record from start to finish. It'd just be like one bit of it. You I, like, I want to get cheap records that have cool sounds in them, and I can maybe take those sounds and use them. Because I was playing when I started scratching. It, Initially, I wasn't just like playing in clubs. I didn't really like clubs or that kind of stuff. I played in bands. Okay. I preferred playing in bands. 
as like a voice in a four piece or a five piece because it yeah. just I don't know it was more freeing than just having to play a tune and then do whatever over it like yeah, so and it was yeah. more creative and I learned loads about music that way but as a result I would, I'd always be on the lookout for like records that had a cool any kind of sound that I could use so as a result I have like thousands of records that I own that I got for very cheap that I only have ever used like a 10 second part yeah. of and I've never listened to the rest they of don't it. have no idea what it's well no I do, I do and also in a way that kind of weird music listening it's not like I didn't really get into a style of music and I was like oh I'm going to buy that album and listen to this just album just any genre at all that any has genre just if, if, it. It, if the price was right and I had a cool sound on it I'd get it and then over the years I'd accidentally listen to them and I'd realise oh shit that's actually like I remember I got into jazz from, from accidentally buying a record that had like a solo sax thing and I was like that's yeah. brilliant I could use that and then I left it on one day and I was like oh my god this is amazing yeah. the fuck I'm ruining it by scratching it like and then <laughs> so I, I've, I've it was a really good way of kind of accidentally getting myself into a load of different styles of music yeah uh, absolutely because I, I was using them like um like ingredients i suppose and not, yeah not disposable kind of ingredients but then when i was like oh shit that's actually a beautiful record and i should listen to it and you tell me before that people used to tear the labels off records so that other djs couldn't yeah, see spy on what you were doing yeah that's i hate, I hate <laughs> that shit <laughs> yeah but that was back in the day when, when yeah i suppose if you were playing something but uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've not really been into that whole DJing thing. I've, I kind of fell out of love with that a long time ago, um, and just was seeing that set up more as a as a tool to make stuff yeah. with the loop pedal as well, because the loop pedal you can add and layer stuff, and you kind of work your own arrangements essentially. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that it is a turntable, you can use pretty much any sound that's ever been recorded, and then you can change the pitch of it and make yeah. it. You can make melodies out of it, and you can do yeah. a lot of stuff with it that. Uh, it initially was never designed to do, you know. But uh, and with yeah. that, with that amount of freedom, though, at your fingertips, do you find that that can sometimes be a detriment to making things because you've just so many options and so much choice there? Yeah, but I suppose it's not really because at the end of the day, there is just kind of twelve notes and yeah, timing. You know what I mean? But I suppose there's there's infinite, you know, things in between them. But like everyone's kind of working off the same thing. And once you get a sound you like it, you just stick with it. I suppose it's like if you're playing a, a keyboard or something, or, you'd, you'd yeah. pick your sound you like. You know, you could yeah. get an in infinite amount of sounds, but you, you have to settle for something eventually. Yeah. Just so do something with, with it, yeah. That could be a thing. Option paralysis is always a risk when yeah. you're using that. But, yeah, you just have to be kind of strict on yourself and be like, right, have some I'm going to do something with like this, and that's it. And if it's not good, then whatever. But I'm not yeah. going to deviate from this until I'm either happy with it or I'm sick of it. You know. Yeah, and going back to the records then, so now from over the years, like you've definitely showed me just strange records that I might not have known about, like particularly in the like Irish traditional world, yes. and the following is one of them. Just, I mean, mm. it's not like it's it's wow, it's out there, or anything, mm -hmm. but it's just like an unusual kind yeah. of record. Well, that's that's I, I'm not I am at the fully recovered because the one <laughs> style of music I do still buy is weird Irish stuff. Like, if I see a record and haven't, you know, been working in a place where records come and go all the time, you kind of get first dibs on a lot of stuff. And a lot of the Irish stuff, people don't care about, you know, it's not like it's flying out the door and someone's going to miss it. Yeah, but you know, like, do you think, I know a lot of people they're talking nowadays going, oh yeah, everyone's really into like, 
trad stuff and the folk stuff. You know, there's well, big yeah, resurgence. They're, the, they're into the cool stuff. They're not into the, the real cool they're stuff, not into which the isn't real. cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uncool, it's cool, or it's so cool, it's not cool, exactly. like, whichever way you it's look like, at it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it, it, it usually doesn't doesn't grab the attention of, uh, of I don't know, the, the, the less devoted uh, Irish curio only record the, only the true, true <laughs> yeah. ones now. But also, if I get to it first, like, yeah. no one's going to get to see it, you know? <laughs> well, that's so. what I mean. You're there, like, just kind of, like, creaming off the best stuff that... Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Well, yeah, it's no wonder <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, Recovered, remember? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this yeah. one, this, uh, is it the Willie? Willie Brady. Willie, yes, I have it here, actually, the record. Um I can't see it with the glare, but Willie Brady, yeah, he's actually Don Leary's own. Yeah, Dunleary. from Don Leary. Yeah, died very young. Apparently, oh. um, I think he died when he was like thirty-eight or something, maybe. But um, by that stage, he'd recorded like twenty records, hmm. twenty LPs. And um, you were saying earlier, some of them were like kind of comedy. Yeah, he did the LPs, two-volume uh, humorous Irish songs. I think it's called, and uh, it's. Uh, they're not like straight up. It's not a comedy record where he's doing stand up. He's just singing some tunes with like a, you know, jokey kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd recognise some of the names. They'd be kind of Irish, old traditional Irish songs that have a bit of a, bit of cheek in them. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, fair play. I always like seeing recording artists who kind of take the piss out of themselves a bit and music in general because it's all too serious. I can't serious. take it too seriously, like you know. Exactly. Pinch of salt. But yeah, this this tune, um, I don't know. It just stuck out to me when I when I heard it. I was like, you you'll hear it. it. Just sounds like it's recorded in a. You were saying like that, uh, sister. Yeah, sister Irene O'Connor. Yes. Don't know if anyone knows that record, sister Irene O'Connor, uh, fire of God's love. It's Ooh. um, it's a nun. It's an, like an Irish nun, or maybe she was Australian, but she was in Australia anyway, and recorded this album, and it is really. It's, it's amazing, but it's really spooky because mm. she's just like thrown ton of reverb on the vocals and she's playing a Casio keyboard mm. and singing like hymns and stuff, but also like these other just uh, maybe start some of them are songs that she's written, like that one Fire of God's Love. Yeah. But it's like really, it's an amazing record. Thank you. 
That's what this, like the reverb on the vocals on this reminded me of that record. Yeah, it, has, it, it, it just stuck out. I uh, like that version of the King of the Fairies I sent you as well. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of, of recordings out there from uh, just of old Irish tunes, but they're done in this weird way where it's like, I don't know what organ they're using or how they're recording it, but it just has this cool, unique sound that I, yeah. wish, I wish there was more. But they should, I don't know, you or me should just try and compile them all together and do I a think compilation. So, yeah. Of them. Spooky. But it's, yeah, it's, it's like... <laughs> It's before I think sounds were standardized or something, you know, before like people are like, oh, it's a folk record and it should sound like this. If it's mm. traditional, it should sound like this. Before those things were standardized, you find these like gems where people are just like coming up with their own kind of sounds, you just know. And, out, yeah. and like I was saying, that's what I'm kind of like, my ears really pick up on now when you mm. find people. It's like, that's what he's doing is no different. It's like he's taking elements of traditional music and mm. doing his own thing with it, you know. Yeah which were kind of like connected to what was going on maybe like contemporaneously at the time. Oddly enough though, none of the other songs on the record sound like that. So oh really? Weird. Yeah. Well, it's like just this one? Not really, they don't have the same, huh. I don't know what it is, this one sounds a bit different, like I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's also, uh, the lyrics are gas because it's like, you can tell that he was probably a bachelor for a while because it's kind of a uh, I think there's a bit of an style. autobiographical kind of elements to it. You listen and find yeah. out for yourself, figure it out for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I reckon so, I don't know. Okay, well this is Little Bridget Flynn by Dunleary's own Willie Brady. I've a nice laded house, I've a cow or two at grass, I've a plant garden running by the door. I've a shelter for the hens, I've a stable for the ass, and what can a man ask more? I don't know, maybe so, and a bachelor's easy and he's free. Uh, but I've lots to look after and I'm living all alone And the devil one is looking after me I 
rather often tells me I should go and have a try For to get a girl that owns a bit of land And I know the way he says it that there's someone in his eye Sure me mother has the whole thing planned But I don't know, will she go? But would mellify them greatly to agree Now there's little Bridget Flynn And it's her I'd love to win If she'd come and have an eye to me Now there's little Bridget Flynn And she's worth her weight in gold And that's a decent dowry, don't you see? And I mean to go and ask her just as soon as I get old If she'll come and have an eye to me But I don't know, maybe so But I'd love to have her sitting on me knee And I'd sing like a thrush on a hawthorn bush If she'd only have an eye to me it was like you singing it from beyond the grave. Yeah, that's, 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 that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely listen to a whole album of that. Okay, maybe, nobody else Maybe even either. more. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. Um, but yeah, I really, I don't know, I'm just really interested in this idea of just people bringing in whatever technologies and kind of arrangements and stuff that were kind of like around at the time, you know, and bringing them to bear on, on older songs. I don't know how old that song is. I think that, that song was written by Percy French, actually, Little Bridget Flynn. So it's not that old, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I've heard loads of versions of it, and it, 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 it always sounds a bit, just a bit goofy or something, whereas that one's kind of like, you really feel sorry for There is an element of like pathos yeah, to it, like, yeah. Oh, poor lad. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> like, like, you believe him. Mm. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's the mark of a true artist. True. Um, <laughs> um, but I was gonna say, like, kind of like bringing in these kind of like, kind of elements that sometimes seem like they're kind of the polar opposite, you know, tradition and innovation. And I'm really interested in ideas like that, but maybe, there's maybe none so polar as the idea of like trad and rave. Oh, and yeah. one thing I forgot to bring in at the start was the trad rave. Yeah. Well, what, what is the trad rave? The trad rave is a, uh, it's a so basically, right. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm so going to get yeah, comfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grab a beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from DJing around and from playing like a, festivals and gigs and stuff, I always with an interest in trad and with, you know, a DJ setup, I would always try and drop a bit of trad at a party, you know, whether that be a, any kind of party, it doesn't have to be a trad event. Like even you drop a bit of Willie Brady? I, I, I do, regularly, yeah. Right. And I, I put some drums over it. And Not your trousers, <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm invisible from the waist down with the, with the deck, so. But uh, yeah, so I started realising that if you play Irish music, good, you know, Irish trad music at the right time. Yeah. People go absolutely batshit crazy and have go a great time. It, they like go mental. And uh, the, the later you play it, the better it is. So me and my uh, a friend of mine, uh, Colin Alwell, who's also goes under the name of DJ PCP. He's an amazing uh, nice. music collector and DJ. He's been doing it for years and he's just, he's, he has like one foot in like all the brand new stuff and one foot in like, I remember he, 
used to have a Naftali brown vine record yeah. before I ever, just when I was learning about him, you know what I mean? So he's well, like, he's got a foot in the past and a foot in the, in the now. And uh, yeah, he does a lot of gigs, kind of bassy, you know, modern dance music kind of gigs, but also loves trad. So we kind of knocked heads, came up with the idea of doing a gig that's like a mixture of both. So we play Irish music and just mix in mad banging stuff and then it just goes into pure like 10 minutes of kind of uh, Grandmaster Flash style chopped together reels yeah. and then maybe bang a weird like uh, I don't know some kind of housey beat or something over it and then put a pipe tune on top of it and specifically play it at festivals at around 2am when everybody is in a grey form. And, that, and that goes down well, I'd imagine. It goes down unbelievably well. It's, <laughs> it's insane. Like, people, like, I don't know what it is. They just, like, it's, I don't know, they're just sick of hearing non-melodic-y, non-kind of, whatever trad has is, is, is very lacking in a lot of electronic music. And yeah. whatever electronic music has is very lacking in a lot of trad music. But it's not like this cheesy, like, Irish club land. Non, you know that, like, where you just have... You know, that kind of stuff. The definite it's, danger of, you know, oh, yeah, going it's, into it, like oh, cheesy I'm, territory. We're fully aware of that and we don't yeah. ever oh, do it. So, so it's always a bit, it, it's always a bit like, yeah, because we're doing it live as well, it, it goes a bit off. So it's it's not that clean. So people kind of, I think people like that because it's a bit like it's live or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you have to, you have to basically see it to believe it. It sounds a bit crap, but it's <laughs> deadly. It really works. But, but yeah, just uh, even just playing Irish music to people who are raving. Yeah, cut the raven by Irish music. You get about ten percent of the people coming up going mad, but uh, the the rest ninety percent be hopping around, holding hands and Amazing. dancing like they've they haven't danced in years. But yeah, so we just decided to kind of do like a rave set and a trad set at the same time, and it's not mixed the entire time. Sometimes it's like we go half an hour, we're just back to back playing yeah. trad tunes we like, and yeah, uh, sometimes it just goes banging for a while. It's it's very fun, very live. I think that you think that's the kind of thing that could like rub up some people the wrong way. Oh, I'm not, and I'm yeah. not talking about dyed in the wool at ravers. Talking mm. about the other sort of things, it's obviously. It's very easy to rub them up, though. Yeah. Fairness, like they're, well, just, they're gagging that? to be rubbed up. Like, <laughs> they love, they love getting rubbed up. <laughs> they're not getting rubbed enough. <laughs> is that like is that something that you would ever kind of take on board in any way? Yes. Yeah. Back in my old younger, uh, like oh my god. Trad is like amazing, and I'm the the, the disciple, the, and the, like the samurai's pupil. Like, yeah. you know, but now I'm like, oh, fuck it. Like, it's life short, and yeah. if it makes people happy, like, you know, there's there's so much pure stuff out there now. So there's, there's no risk of the tradition getting bastardized or lost. Yeah, I don't think at all. So I think it's time to open up the doors a little bit to some more messing. Yeah, because yeah, like this, no bad can come come from it, and. Um, yeah, I, I would have taken that on board before. I would have been, actually, it used to be quite purist when I was learning tunes. If people weren't learning them right that I was playing with, they'd be like, yeah. you're doing it all wrong, you know? Whereas yeah. now, I'm like, I don't really care as much. Maybe it's, I suppose, as you get older, you, you start to yeah. care less about th things like that. But I wouldn't be worried about rubbing up people like that the wrong way, because they probably wouldn't be at the event, yeah. A, and B, if they were at a they like I'm pretty sure they'd enjoy it. They wouldn't yeah, see it yeah. as a bad thing because like, what else are they gonna go? They're gonna go see some actual techno. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. this is the closest thing to what they like. So yeah, yeah. They're gonna stick around, but yeah, no, it doesn't bother That's me anymore. Enough. But hmm, I, yeah. uh, it is a thing though. It is something that you do have to consider when you're doing anything with a traditional art form. You do yeah. have to kind of just yeah 
be 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 ready for people to get personally yeah. offended by it. Because yeah, I mean, there's obviously some people there that would, um, yeah, they would be have a very personal mm. and well, like, I get it righteous reaction to mm. something like that. You know, and I, I can understand that as well. Totally. But I I definitely would agree with you that there's there's so many people out there who are playing in the tradition to such a high standard and such a high degree, mm. and they're like an immaculate link in mm. the chain of tradition going down through the generations and that's really cool and well, you're like oh, that mm. you know they're managing to do that really well yeah no i i i i, I love the, that's who i listen to when i listen to irish music yeah but, but i do think that people who are kind of messing with it and bringing it to different ears uh do more good than harm to to the whole thing in general because you might get people who will like me who accidentally get into something and then end up discovering and falling in love with the purest form of it and then getting into it that way you know yeah. and i do think as well you, you you really should understand something very well before you start messing with it like a recipe or something you know like yeah get it right the way it should be first before you start throwing in vanilla essence and saffron <laughs> and <all. laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. so no uh, absolutely yeah I like to know what you're dealing with and to have no. educated yourself yeah you should know what you're messing regard. with like know what you're fucking up before you start fucking with it like <laughs> yeah. you know i think yeah yeah. Well, that's absolutely fair enough. And is there any trad rave events coming up? Are you any bookings? Um, there's probably. I need to check. Like the festival season's kind of over now, but um, there's nothing coming up now. But we there was festivals and stuff in the past. Yeah. So if we get a, get a time machine and go back to like July, there was there's a really good one coming up. Sounds <laughs> last good. July. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a festival thing. So and if there's any raves, there's nothing on on the immediate horizon that comes to mind, but. Okay, well yeah. maybe we'll play another tune now. Um, this one, it talking about like just different genres mm. merging in very specific ways. This one, it's a version of The Wild Rover mm. by Frank Ilfield. Yeah, Frank, I Ilfield. <laughs> that there. cover is amazing. They're both his uh, friends. Wow, he really is a wild <laughs> rover. <laughs> so yeah, I, I noticed this one uh, when I got it, I was like, I wonder if Ian did something on this, because I know you did a, a deep dive into the... Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, well, th probably yeah. for the best, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I thought it would, it's, yeah, it's worth an airing on a, for a drawn air. Yeah, I mean, there is thing. there is another well-known Australian country and Western version of The Wild Rover hmm. by Tex Morton. And, um, yeah, so it is, it is, so there is um, a parallel to it. But um, I'll play this one anyway. It's Frank thing as well. It's the, um, not Ilfield. He's he's a bit of a yodeler. Oh yeah. So it's, you're, 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 I love hearing I mean, a, bit that's a bit of a yodeler. Yeah, a bit of yodeling. You know what I mean? Yodeling in Irish music, you don't hear it enough. Yeah. Well, here we go. Get, <laughs> get a blast of it now. This is the Wild Rover. money on whiskey and beer but now i'm returning with gold in great store i never shall play the wild rover no more and it's no no never no more no 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 never no more i never 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 shall play the wild rover Into a shanty I used to 
frequent And I told the landlady all my money was spent I asked her for credit but she answered me nay Such customers yours I can have every day So it's no, no, never no more No, 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 never no more I never, never, never shall play Ten sovereigns bright And the landlady's eyes open wide with delight Said she, I have whiskey and wines of the best And the words that I told you were only in jest But it's no, no, never no more No, 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 never no more I never, never, never shall play Confess what I've done And I'll ask them to pardon Their prodigal son And if they will do so As I've done before I never shall play The Wild Rover no more For it's no, no Never no more No, 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 no No, never no more I never, never Never shall play Frank Ifield with the Wild Rover. Um, very cool. I yeah, like yeah. It. I'm, I'm glad you missed that one. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm a folklorist now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was just thinking about there what you were saying, like about, you know, with like, um, kind of people doing things with tradition that might be kind of frowned upon. But do you think that's you think it's a sign of a healthy tradition that things like that can happen without affecting the actual thing? Uh, definitely. I think, look, it's it's tricky because I, on one hand, fully understand it and do believe that that stuff needs to be kind of sacred and protected in a way. But I think also there should be options to to mess with it without too much repercussion or too much kind of negative. You know, there should be a bit of freedom involved to, to do it. So yeah. I, I suppose education is the main thing, like just teaching people about it properly. And then once they know about it properly, then they can go and mess with it. But if somebody just like arrives at it and like you know skips straight to, to the final chapter of the instruction book yeah. you know what I mean like you're gonna have to read it all before you you can start messing with it I think so I think it's it's healthy because in Ireland it's healthy because the scene is so alive and there's so many young people who are like absolute ninjas yeah in, in the traditional sense and they're also young and playful and like open to do you know stuff with all different kinds of audio recording musical stuff so it's it's healthy because you have this like strong traditional uh, kind of foundation in these young people who are also experimental in yeah. in nature i think it's only not healthy i suppose when it's people who don't really understand it messing with it you know so yeah not to say that that can't be good but yes yeah. i think it's a good sign of anything if if, if you're open to I suppose criticism or joking or making fun of yourself or like n not taking yourself too seriously 
whether it's music or personally or whatever, I think it's always a sign of good kind of minerals, you know. So yeah, uh, I think Ireland's in a good place because the tradition's so strong and alive, and we've got so many young people coming up that it's it's not going anywhere in any sense, and it's only going to get weirder and cooler and also more traditionally cool. So Ireland's a good one, and yeah, I'd like to, as well to go back to the Balkan stuff and um, the klezmer music. A lot of those regions, they it's actually more popular there because it's actually in their pop music. You know, like a lot of their pop that, singers, yeah. uh, Manele is like the Romanian um, kind of pop music. It's like their main poppy, synthy, whatever stuff you'd hear in Centra kind of stuff. But it has loads of traditional melodies kind of mixed in. So the traditional folky melodies are very much in the public ear through pop music. You don't really get that in Ireland. It's more like traditional mm. music is a bit separate. So it hasn't really mixed as much. You get the odd kind of breakthrough Irish tune, but it's not like the, the way it is. Not in the same some way. Of, yeah, in some of those Balkan countries, which I think is an interesting difference, you know. Uh, but it just also means that it's, it's so healthy and so going nowhere that like it can, it can coexist in both a super cheesy uh, kind of bastardized version and also you go to a, a regional wedding and you hear the, the proper stuff. stuff so it's it's always a good sign that if something's kind of getting messed with that it's healthy yeah I yeah say. well amen to that amen indeed um the album you mentioned earlier on mm. might be an album in the works there definitely is an album in the works yeah just have to come up with some songs okay <laughs> <laughs> no, just have to write it record it <laughs> no no i've alone <laughs> I have a lot of stuff. It's just, it's just, it's, it's what to, yeah. I just want to try and pick. There's like two albums. It's, I don't know. It's, you know, when you have like a lot of stuff and it's all very different. Do you like, do you make a, a kind of a Frankenstein piece of album, or do you make two yeah. separate things or whatever? So, I'm trying to just decide what. And I'm also trying to incorporate like all, all of this kind of setup is. Uh, I got most of it at the start of the pandemic, so I used the pandemic as a an opportunity because no gigs obviously Brilliant. so I used it as an opportunity to go back yeah. to the drawing board and like get stuff ready or get new stuff and learn how to use it because when you're gigging you can't really prep new stuff you just have to prep for your gig you have no time outside exactly yeah so I'm still kind of learning all this stuff so it's almost at the point now where I'm ready to go into the studio and amazing well I can't yeah. wait to hear it yeah sound um, thanks Thanks a million for coming and Thanks sitting for having here and chatting. It's an honor. Yeah. Your, your, your podcast is amazing. And uh, also, Very I think there's much. too many podcasts out there and it's making people not listen to music. Everyone I know is listening to podcasts all the time and not listening to music. But your podcast has music. <laughs> it's amazing. Imagine that. Yeah, I know. Brilliant. It's like, it's like the ultimate blend. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for your deadly uh, work and for having me. It's oh, no, thank you. Pleasure's all mine. And um, for commissioning me to write your team, Jim. Yeah. More yeah. of which and on, but um, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, dejaculate. Absolute legend, as a man. Thank you. The what? Tune or Q&A first? I did a tune. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, one more. Explain what this is then, maybe. You can so, I, I'm trying to remember. So, basically, I, I got in touch with Jack about two years ago to ask him to kind of like redo the team tune to fire John Air. And um and then he got back to me and he said, Oh yeah, but I have this idea to turn it into like a concerto. And basically like about five or six months later came back with this ten minute long piece of music and I was just like, it's only meant to be about like thirty seconds. But um 
This is amazing, and it incorporated elements of Iron Maiden, H.P. Lovecraft, um, Willie Clancy, of course. Um, what else have we got in there? There's a bit of uh, Paddy Tunney in there. Yeah, there's got a bit of Shanos. There's like the Bulgarian choir. Bulgarian choir is, uh, John, McCormick. John McCormick's there. And um, the Rainies. The Rainies. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of stuff all mashed together in the most delectable way. Um, Jack called it an Eldritch communion. And we're going to close out with that and then have a bit of a Q&A if we have time. So uh, thanks very much, everyone. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas and infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far, that we should either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace.
thought I saw dark, saltant forms silhouetted grotesquely against the vision of marble and effulgence, altogether unthinkable, and I might have stared indefinitely had not the sound of the piping seemed to grow stronger at my left. <laughs> ¶¶ 